Welcome to the Sacred Body Podcast, an ongoing exploration of the female body, its intelligence, and the ways through which honoring this innate intelligence can support our growth and evolution as women. On this podcast, you'll find conversations about motherhood, about sex, about emotional intelligence, birth, food, and belonging. I'm your host, Stacey Ramsauer. If you enjoy these podcasts, please make a contribution, leave your review, and share with your community. And now, welcome to this episode of the Sacred Body Podcast. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to the Sacred Body Podcast. I'm Stacy, and I get to have Beth Berry on the podcast today. Beth is the author of Motherwhelmed and the founder of Revolution from Home, amongst many other things. I'll let her introduce herself in a minute, but I learned of Beth's work only a couple of months ago from a friend and have been utterly absorbed in Motherwhelmed. It's an incredible book. Uh, We'll talk more about that. I could go on and on, but I'm also really excited to have you share about the programs that you lead and the way that you are hmm, refining, transforming the story of motherhood and enabling women to tell their story from a different place. We're really doing so much healing work through this mothering journey and your voice is so strong. It's so powerful. So I'm just really honored to have you here today. Thank you for that, Stacy. I'm really glad to be here talking with you as well. I appreciate the the introduction. I would love for you to um, introduce yourself, however brief or long the intro wants to be today. You have such a compelling story, um, and I'd love to hear it in your words. Oh, uh, let's see where to start. Um, <laughs> I most easily identify as a mother of four daughters um that's the quickest one to come to me always I think because it's the greatest source of joy but also the place that uh in my life has grown me the most mm. the container of motherhood has has definitely been the number one catalyst for my growth and healing um my kids are now I have all daughters they're uh, 16 19 22 and 28 somehow and <laughs> And I'm, you know, I'm right now uh, so close to empty nesting that uh, and I'm really tasting that with three of them out of the house and one left who's hardly ever home. Uh, my life feels so radically different than even mm. a few years ago and super way different than it was 10, 15, 20 years ago. Um, but uh, I'm just uh, so that so I'm facing that massive life change and um and it has me, of course, reflecting on my journey and, uh, uh, you know, sitting with grief and allowing grief to be um, uh, a rich part of my experience and welcoming it as the uh, incredible guide I know it can be. Um, so I started my mothering journey when I was very young, I was 17. And uh, so my sense of self, my identity was very much rooted uh, in motherhood and I developed my sense of self as a mother and then I kind of you know I, I sort of came into myself in motherhood lost myself in motherhood <laughs> had to like find myself I had to actually do my best to uh differentiate from motherhood individuate from motherhood as a 
a sense of identity in order to fill out a more, uh, you know, a whole sense of self. Um, that's mm-hmm. been a journey. And that's mm-hmm. part of what I uh, do in my work, among other things. I'm, uh, I work with mothers who are sort of fed up with status quo motherhood and uh, the narratives, the norms, the structures, the systems in place that keep us from living um, fulfilling lives, uh, that keep us scattered and overworked and invisibilized and um, you know, generally overwhelmed and depleted. Um, mm-hmm. And also I'm working hard to Um, deconstruct this narrative and help people reconstruct a narrative around this idea that there must be something wrong with me that motherhood feels so hard and um, I just think it's absolutely untrue I think it's it's the systems it's the structures it's the norms it's the narratives and it's intentional because we're much easier to exploit as mothers um, if we're not well resourced if we're disconnected from each other Um, so I'm you know I do I do that through through my book, through um, my year-long, well, it's actually, we've changed it a bit now. It's nine-month-long program called Motherworthy, um, in-person retreats, uh, various courses and, and things that we run throughout the year. Um, and I just, and some individual co- coaching, and I just have such a heart for um, the growth and healing journey of mothers. And I think it's really important that, that we see that um, growth and healing is different for us as mothers. You can't just pick up any old self-help book and necessarily see yourself represented because unless we're including motherhood in the story, we're missing such a critical piece. And I think that actually has the effect of contributing to this feeling like, well, there must be something wrong with me. I've read all these self-help books and I still can't make my life better. And actually we can't afford to invisibilize motherhood in in the mix. We have to censor it. We have to bring it into the conversation in order for us to have, in order for the unique healing journey that we're on um, to be um, honored, to be effective for us to actually feel better. Mm. And other things, I have a, a wonderful partner. I'm, I've been divorced about six years, seven years, something like that. Um, one of the best decisions I've ever made. Uh, I get along great with my with my ex um but i just uh my own growth and healing journey has really shaped my life pretty radically and um i feel more joy i feel more access to inner peace than i ever have because of that growth and journey and so i really feel so um devoted to supporting that journey for other other women who are ready to get real and be raw and vulnerable and courageous um because it's not just about us feeling better. It's about collective change, collective healing that so many mothers are um, wired for. You know, we feel it. We're, we want to do better so we can create a better world for our kids. It's it's innate. Um, it is. But we're very much uh, disempowered through the disconnection. The single family household model is not working. Yeah. Yeah. And the model of, you know, fitting into the, I can do it all (laughs) on my own. Look at me go. I I was really struck by something recently. Um, 
just how much apologizing there is when a mother does decide to share how hard it is. <laughs> I don't mean to be a downer. You know, I'm sorry to be whatever. And that, that is so, it's such an insidious element of this overculture of like, you can't even have a hard time. <laughs> you can't even have a bad day, let alone express it. Right. And being in, you know, inevitably when we gather, it's like, we see it, we share it, we share in it. And as I'm, you know, growing and stretching as a mother myself, I'm realizing how much of this, you know, perfect homemaker <laughs> model is so destructive to our psyche. And to your point, like this, this intentional effort to eliminate the collective power of women. So it's like, I can't even have people over because my house is too messy. <laughs> like a village is there, but no, 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 my house is too messy. I don't want to tell you how hard my day was because I don't want to bring you down. And all these stories, and this is such a huge component of your book, something so brilliant, waking up to the stories that run our operation, like are running the show without us even realizing it. And there are so many of them. So many of them. That we just uh, are conditioned to see as true and not even question. Um, and then when we do start questioning those stories, uh, life starts to feel messy. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. then we're conditioned to avoid mess making. Like we're supposed to be the ones who clean up messes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> making life feel messier is not the the role of the mother as society presents it. Uh, and so we're by saying, this isn't working for me. This isn't the right story we're pulling. It's like, I think of it as we end up taking all the stuff out of the closet. We've got to sort it all out and figure out what we want to keep or what we want to get rid of before we can put our lives back together in, in a way that feels um, more life-giving. Uh, but we're so afraid of making a mess first because we're conditioned not to. And I think that that's an essential piece of it that we've got to recognize that there there's uh, a necessary amount of um, uh, taking things apart, rearranging, being in the muck of things. We there's there's just we live in a culture that does not teach us that there is value in the muck. That there's mm -hmm. value in the dark. There's value in the. Um, the slowing down, the introspection, that none of that is um, valued. Uh, and so we avoid it yeah. when actually that's so, so much of the work is getting into that, looking at it directly, uh, letting our hearts break, um, grieving. And so much of that is what is needed in order for us to move into the next um, phase of our mothering journey, of our own growth journey our maturation process yeah um so i think we've we've got to create more spaces where we're honoring those things that are messy and hard and and um not easy to look at because the opposite the the alternative is uh that we keep coping and there's 
you know, a million coping strategies out there. And then we're also so much more susceptible to all the messages of the overculture, of consumer culture that are coming in to tell us exactly what we need. And, and uh, all of that is really just distraction from the, the longings of the soul and the, the kind of growth that is possible for us uh, that, that can actually lead to the inner peace we want. Mm-hmm. And the kind of cohesion of our communities and our families. Yes. Yeah. So, I mean, there's so like a whole page. <laughs> I wish I had the colored tabs, but there's like 87 dog-eared pages and I haven't even finished the book entirely. <laughs> there's a lot of beauty in your book and I love the way that it's structured. I feel like it's extremely accessible, but like very potent. Mm-hmm. So thank you for writing this book in the way that you did. It's so beautiful. Thank you. So I'll just, can I just speak to that really quickly? Yes, please. I always want to say when someone offers me, you know, a compliment about my book, that book is not very long. Uh It took seven years to write that thing because I was so motherwhelmed myself through the whole thing. And I think it's really important that when we um, look at someone's body of work and say, wow, Uh I really admire this or wow, this is really beautiful, that we also tell the truth about what it took to get there. That was early morning hours, four o'clock in the morning, me sitting there crying my way through, like I had to write that book or I was going to lose my mind. That book came out of a desperation to reclaim a sense of self, you know? So it, it didn't even matter if anybody else liked it because I so desperately needed to write it. And I think we need to, to tell these parts of the story. Those of us who, who have, um, readerships or we have a platform of some kind I think we've got to be more transparent transparent and real about the mess about the muck of it of what it takes to get a book out into the world for example especially when you have constant interruptions yeah my my um uh my website my my business is called revolution from home and I always joke that it's this is the most interrupted revolution there ever was (laughs) constant you know it's the most it's hilarious and ridiculous how it starts and stops throughout the day just to try to get a, a small thing done so mm-hmm. I wanted to say that because I think it, it feels important to me it is important it's really refreshing and humbling of course because I as I hear you say that you know it rings solidly true and telling the truth of our experience is a core value of mine. It's part of, you know, how I work in the world. And it's also something that I have to be diligent with myself about doing, you know, how much I want to, that part of me that wants to appear as though this were effortless or, you know, (laughs) that ideal of like, this was effortless for me. I did it with no drama or tears or chaos. No, it was all drama and tears and chaos. (laughs) A few moments of lucidity, but primarily just chaos. Yeah, yeah. And we need, that's every time a mother stands up and speaks that truth, Mm -hmm. it offers uh, for another mother who's in the, the, the muck of it, a sense of calm in her body to be able to exhale and go oh it's not just me you know doing it wrong 
actually we're doing it right when we are, you know, not just trying to give ever, the world a polished version, but but being with what's real, yeah, uh, and authentic. And I just think it's one of the most one of the biggest gifts that I believe that our generation of mothers can give to the next generation of mothers, to the world at large, to our children, is that we, we've got to start being more honest. Mm -hmm. What's working, what's not, what does my life really look and feel like? And get, take this like performative bullshit out, the perfectionistic bullshit out. It's just, all it's doing is creating more shame, isolation, loneliness. Um, that's yeah. it. It's not actually, and, 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 and it's having us orient more toward consumer culture. We're yes. more susceptible yes. to the shiny objects. If we don't feel like we can lean in with other people and be real because we're supposed to be perfect. Yeah. This, you know, idea I'm a somatic practitioner and when there's just such an intense vortex of the pain, the struggle, we have to have a counter vortex. And unless that's established as something embodied, <laughs> relational, grounded, it, 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 we go to an addiction of some sort, the addiction to the nighttime wine, the addiction to the television, the addiction to the shopping, the addiction to the whatever. I think the shopping for moms is a big one and the marketing is so intense so intense and in our current age where there's so much possibility for connection through social media and online oh well guess what there's also constant influx of yep. you need this you're not doing enough of that did you know you could have this yep you're you're pointing to that in your work uh, was really meaningful to me. You know, there's there's themes that are universal in in mother's work and the sort of like revillaging and remothering realm. But I really appreciate your consistent shining a light on this aspect of consumer culture and how hard hit moms are with that like it's very intense and adding to the story of depletion the way you know we just like dig ourselves deeper and deeper into the muck some of it's necessary some of it's not right this trap of like we're drowning in stuff we're you know getting those overdraft fees <laughs> I mean there's so many things that you highlight in your book it's such a treasure I'm like oh damn that's really specific <laughs> really hits me hard yeah and I, I think that these um marketers know what they're doing mm -hmm. and they're also tracking who's spending the money right and we're, we're spending the money you know it, it's it's their marketing is working but actually what's really happening is that we our longings are so deep yeah our hunger for something better and for some relief, true relief is so deep. So we're really, really vulnerable to those mm -hmm. messages because we're just like, well, maybe this will be the thing. And if we don't slow down enough and get intentional enough about um, really digging into what we're hungry for, 
and who am I really and what's most important to me so that we can know where to direct our attention, our energy, how to be discerning. Um, yeah. Then we just, our energy becomes diffused out in every direction all the time because not only- Everything gets in that way. In that space, everything gets in. Completely. And it's not just the stuff, it's also responsibilities, it's feeling like I have to do all the things for all the people yeah. in order to be a good mom, which is just, I really, really dislike the idea of a good mom at all. I think it's uh, actually really damaging because it doesn't mean shit. It doesn't mean anything. It doesn't mean anything. Mean, yeah. You know, by whose measure and, you know, it kind of sets you up to be constantly failing because what, or feeling like you're failing because what does it even what does that even mean? If you think about, um, it's like the idea of, we do this with so many different um, demographics too. Like if you think about what, what does it mean to be a good baby? Like a lot of us are like throwing that one out because yeah. we're like, it's a baby, you know, like they're not trying to manipulate you with their crying, you know? Um, so I think also like, what is it to be a good wife or a good homemaker or, you know, and how different is it then to be a good dad than yeah. a good mom? You can do almost nothing and be a good dad. Yeah. You have to be basically superhuman to be counted among the good moms by culture standards, you know, and you're supposed to be that good mom uh, while also being totally under-resourced. So you're supposed to be superhuman but we're going to treat you as if you're subhuman good luck have fun <laughs> have fun out there it's probably <laughs> your fault if you're not enjoying this it's just such thick bullshit there's no way to get out of it it's a trap it's there's a trap. no way to get out of it until you wake up to it and decide you're not participating in that system that, those narratives anymore right. and there's so much effort in that too yeah. Yeah. and i I had a moment speaking to a new mom who who's, you know, in her postpartum period with her second child and doing really well. It was like, okay, so how can we expand on this? Like what would feel really good? You're, you know, you're sustaining, but how can, you know, we start to flourish? She's like, I don't even know. She said, I don't know what a supported mom looks like. So here's someone who, you know, fits the bill wide open, ready for the revolution, but I don't even know. There's no example. Yeah. I don't know what to look for. I don't know what to ask for. I don't know what I can have. And that just hit me so hard. I think that adds to this feeling of, you know, there, I think it's always anxiety inducing to break form, to change a pattern, to break from lineage or status quo. And when there's not even like guideposts, it's that much more of a free fall, which in motherhood is really tough to endure. It is because partly because we want to show up well for our kids. Mm -hmm. can't, we feel like we can't afford to free fall and our kids still be okay. Yeah. So the stakes are super high. Like you have to keep it together. Yeah. You know, everybody else in society could afford to fall apart. Not us. 
we can't afford to, you know, like that's the feeling of like the pre- pressure's on because if I'm not the ones, the one holding all the shit together, then my kids will be the one to suffer. And I'm biologically willing to do that. Not willing and also biologically wired not to let that happen. Yeah. Animal instinct takes over of like, I will self-sacrifice till the day I die so that my kids will be okay. Like that's innate for most of us. Um, But I think what you said is so true that we don't know what a nourished thriving mother looks like. We, we haven't seen many examples of that. Yeah. And a lot of it feels as soon as we start recognizing that that actually requires support, then we set ourselves up to feel extremely vulnerable and as if we have no control because we don't have, it's way easier to say there's something wrong with me mm-hmm. and keep uh, working on ourselves than to look outside ourselves and say the systems are broken what can i do in terms of getting more support out in the world um that's a way more vulnerable path so we'd rather just buy the things on instagram and um keep reading the self-help books because then we're also not setting ourselves up for um even deeper sorrow if we try to find our quote-unquote village and we fail. Yeah. We've essentially, that's our, what our heart longs for most. We can't, so many people are afraid to move toward that because it feels like it's not likely mm-hmm. to happen. So I'm not even going to try. I'm not even going to go. It's like in a smaller version, I hear you expressing this, you know, thing that happens in romantic partnerships it's like I'll stay in this relationship that's not great that's not quite what I want that's not going in the direction I really want to go in because the risk of ending it and meeting disappointment is too much like I I my system actually can't handle that I can tolerate this bad relationship better than I can tolerate the grief of not finding what I'm looking for for a while right taking the risk yeah being alone or of uncertainty we would prefer the the known challenges to the unknown whatever it is whether it's challenges or or benefits um i'm curious about your sense of you know our our the lack of cultural holding around grief, you know, the complete absence of ritualizing these rites of passage, the grief process at all. There's no, again, there's no example of how to be. And I just love to hear you talk about that. Yeah, it's so true. And I think what we start off on this path of motherhood um, and pretty quickly, I think we actually start feeling grief, mm-hmm. but we don't know that that's what it is. Mm-hmm. And so it's diagnosed. Yeah. Um, or we start beating ourselves up or uh, we start, you know, we, we, the addictions form or whatever it is, we cope because we haven't been taught what, we don't even know what lo- we're looking at. Um 
And so then that's the beginning. <laughs> it's the very beginning. It often starts for people if they um, have a birth experience that's different than they were hoping. And it, then it's not well held. Often there's trauma in that. It's not well held. And and that's the start. Or if they have a baby who won't breastfeed or they have something where they have no tools and they have no support, they have no elders, you know, mentoring them, witnessing them, giving them the, the support that they're needing. And so grief is right there. For most mothers, it's right there in the beginning. Yeah. But it's not named. And so then the grief starts to deepen as we recognize just how isolated we feel. And then instead, again, instead of looking at the culture and saying, well, this is fucked. There's nobody coming to help me. Like, this is not the way it's supposed to be. We start turning it on ourselves and wondering what's wrong with us. Um, so I, I just think that it's so essential that we be talking more about um, about grief and understanding grief as a, an essential part of the human journey. Mm-hmm. And that we can build capacity to hold it and to be with it and to let it change us, shape us. Um, and then also to be able to find those people who are also able to hold grief and to talk about what's real for them. Um, and, you know, that's part of what we're moving toward more and more in the work that I'm doing is creating grief circles so we can come together because we're we're not meant to do any of this alone but definitely not not meant to grieve alone that's always been a collective uh experience you know um in cultures everywhere around the world for you know throughout history and um and so it's a relationship that i think we have to form a relationship with grief um I I recommend Francis Weller's book, The Wild Edge of Sorrow. Um, I'm actually taking a a, a course, a five month course with him right now, and I, it's just uh, such deep respect for his work. Uh, so important, and it, it it's also one of the things that helps usher us through a rite of passage. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I'm I'm in a rite of passage right now with my kids almost grown there's deep grief uh, in this phase. The more I can welcome that grief and see it as one of the tasks of this Mm. particular initiation, then I can let it season me. I can let it mature me instead of fearing it, pushing it away, wondering what's wrong with me. um, And, you know, actually kind of hardening off from it but instead letting my heart break open, feeling those feelings, but it requires a slowing down. It, it is actually countercultural, revolutionary to be with your grief. It's anti yeah, I, I see grief as like this downward, down and out flow. You know, and every everything I've ever learned about grief, the invitation is to be by a body of water, like <laughs> the down and out onward movement and in that way only through grieving can we welcome anything new and so for a rite of passage like there is no rite of passage if you're not welcoming 
what's coming to you if you have no space to hold what is there. And that grief is like a, that grieving process is like a clearing out. And it only makes sense that it would be possible if you were held by trusted others. Yep. Especially as mothers, because uh, if you think about it, like in phases of my life, when I've been in deep grief and I've had little kids around, if I don't get space from those kids, when I'm in my big emotions, it can actually be really scary for them. Yeah, totally. You know? Especially if we're afraid of it. If we have language for it, if we can honor it and then we can, they can see us. I do think it's important for them to see us having big emotions, but only really it's, it's best when we have first, uh, uh, sort of seasoned our relationship with that emotion yeah. so that we're not so afraid of it ourselves. Um, but if you've got a little kid around all the time and your big feelings are welling up over and over and over and you have no outlet for them, um, either because you don't want your, your child to be disturbed by your, your grief, or also we have such a misunderstanding around grief in our culture that even grieving with our partners sometimes they don't have the emotional maturity to hold it it scares them or or we're not that far away from generations i mean really it's just yeah. our parents generation and still in different places of the world where you're seen as crazy if you have too many big emotions as a woman and you're put you're institutionalized yeah like you're just numbed out <laughs> yeah we're that's right there yeah in our in our lineage in our hair in our inheritance yes you know right there so we're we're afraid of those big emotions because of the actual consequences that came for our ancestors when they were expressed and we've got to actually do the healing work to um you know, send the signal to our bodies and to our emotional bodies that it's safe now. <laughs> the right. circumstances changed. There is more safety now for women. Still not all the time, still not everywhere, still not in a lot of ways, but there's a lot more safety than there was. And we can afford to feel our emotions and go through a grieving process. Um, we may have to structure our lives around it a bit and and figure that piece out, but we're not going to be we're not likely to be institutionalized. You know, it's the, the yeah. consequences are different. Or if we speak up about what we don't want and it's not working, we're not going to be burned at the stake. Right. You know? Yes. So um but but and our bodies speaking out wise counsel from one another as you're speaking, like I'm thinking about these, you know, witch trials, like to be a wise woman with alternative resources in the community yeah. was a very dangerous role to occupy for a very long time I mean still in our modern no you're not going to be burned at the stake but you're going to be vilified in the culture you're going to be you know yeah harmed in so many other ways or you know victimized I think and nobody wants that yeah this, I was, yeah. I was oh, ran across something the other day that I think is really important which is that we often as women, you know, entrepreneurs, for example, we're talking a lot about empowerment and we're talking about, you know, feminine business models, but, but we're still 
trying to steer clear of saying I people women are now starting to say more and more I want to empowerment but women are still not saying I want power mm-hmm. it still feels scary in yep. our body I still feel the feelings when I say I want power it feels like dirty or coercive or like it's something that I shouldn't want and actually the power is all bad and it's all about domination and destruction yeah it's like the, the other Lord one. of the rings like if you put the ring on yeah right you're just going to turn into pure evil right exactly and then same with uh this um idea that we have these uh feminine business models instead of calling them feminist um, it's it has a different the feminine is still soft and gentle feminists are considered harsher you know and so we there's a stigma attached and so so many people are want the thing but they're choosing the softer version because it's more palatable for people um and just i find it interesting you know fascinating to be able to look at um language and the way that we're we're still afraid of of our power we're still afraid to step fully into uh, our authentic expression because of fear of consequences, even if it's epigenetic. Yeah. Even if fear is just in our bodies, you know, not in our logical minds. And developing new processes for this deconstruction and reconstruction of our power, like the power structures that we've inherited or have been indoctrinated into that deconstruction. Like I found myself recently, I haven't talked about this yet and this feels like a good space to talk about it. I was taking a course in couples therapy. I'm in school for psychology and the a lot of the content had to do with domestic violence. So we had, you know, two really intense, heavy weeks of coursework and the invitation, I've got a really cool university. The invitation was to share an aesthetic response, could be a poem, it could be a video of you moving or you know, some artistic expression of how you've been affected by all of this work. And what I, my mind instantly went to the Maori haka and the female and male New Zealander rugby teams always do a haka before their games. And so I just started like obsessively combing through these videos and watching these women perform the haka and the men for that matter, but I was drawn to the women. It's like something activated inside of me. And I, I shared it with my friend who's from New Zealand. I was like, you know, I don't feel like this is mine. It's not like, oh, I found my connection and I'm so into this culture and this represents me, but I don't have anything else. It was the closest thing that I have access to, to express how it feels in my body. And again, it's like this very, very brave and tumultuous work of finding our rituals again, constructing our our structure. It's very intense. It is very intense, especially because of how much sensitivity 
we're all really trying to to um hold around cultural appropriation and yeah. uh, and also and there's another place where the grief is deep yeah like so I have you, nowhere to go that was my feeling I don't I have nowhere to go that doesn't yeah. mean that I get to take what's not mine but also like just the grief is so overwhelming it's this very thick murky soup isn't it <laughs> murky soup it really is and I and I think that the you know, response to that, I think we've got to be able to feel the grief of that in order for us to start to eventually soften into, okay, then what am I going to do about this, this right. absence of uh, rituals passed down through my lineage? What, what, that we have to first feel the grief of that. We just, we can't skip that part. Yeah. If we're trying to create a more beautiful world. You know, we also have to tap into the grief of the horrendous injustices that have, you know, so many people, marginalized people have experienced and and really tap into why it's important that we uh, be, be mindful of cultural appropriation and teach ourselves what this is about and why we need to be, you know, like all of that, I think is so much a part of how we then move forward and create the rituals, the ceremonies, the sacred experiences to then pass along. Right. You know, that we we become the elders that we wish we had. We start to recultivate whatever it is that we want to pass along. wanted to take a quick break to share with you a new digital program available to you called the Goddess Cleanse. This is a pattern interrupt and digestive reset. This program is a 10-day Ayurvedic cleanse organized around the energies of the three wisdom goddesses Kali, Lakshmi, and Saraswati. In addition to a fully outlined food-based cleanse in the Ayurvedic tradition, you will receive over 10 hours of video and audio content, including lectures on the Ayurvedic view of health, a somatic experiencing lecture on digestion and the nervous system, yoga and mantra practices, recipes, and journaling prompts. This is a evergreen program, meaning it is available to you whenever you want it and to be digested at your own pace. You can find access on my website, stacyramsauer.com, as well as links to the purchase page in these show notes. And now back to the episode. I heard you speaking to the grieving as a necessary step in order to be able to, you know, do the work of developing these rituals, embodying the elder, the role of elder. Mm -hmm. And I immediately thought of because it's it's one of the quotes from the book that I wrote down that really moved me it's in the chapter our actual importance which in and of itself I put it all bold letters our actual importance in every single moment as mother we are modeling human behavior shaping awareness and affecting change whether we're cleaning dog poop from tennis shoes or doctoring a bloodied chin, 
impressionable, interested, and intelligent young humans are paying attention. Stories are forming. Hearts are being held. Consciousness is being born. There's nothing menial about it. Yeah. To know even that I could give my children, you know, I there's a part of me that's like, well, I think I might need to just hold the high probability that I won't see the change that I want to in my lifetime, but I can kick the pebble. I can pass the stick to my children. So I have to do anything. Yeah. That's right. That's exactly it. And if we can start to root ourselves in that importance, then actually so much of the work that's needed from mothers today is to pause and sort, <laughs> you know? Yeah. There's, we're just, we've been handed this big old pile of, bullshit really just so many stories that are not true are not beautiful are not uh healthy that are rooted in uh, exploitation yeah and extraction and abuse uh that if we can if our generation can pause and start to do the work of healing from all of that, then whatever we're handing to the next generation has a totally different quality. Yeah. But you're, I think you're absolutely right. So much of what we're working toward, we won't see the fruit of. And we're not meant to. That's yeah. that's all of our um, mm. you know, instant gratification culture programming. Totally. Our, our ancestors, our wise ancestors anyway, knew better that it's not like that. This is generational work that we're we're here to meant to, we're meant to be doing a part of this work. And so can we really get clear on what is my part while I'm here for this short while? And then what do I want to hand to the next generation? And I think that it's it's not um glamorous this part we're playing. Yeah. It's really is quite mucky. <laughs> it really is. I mean, to be able to, we're the, we're so, I mean, truly we're the ones that were being handed this like shit pile mm -hmm. and we're looking at it completely distracted by all these other shiny objects. It could be this way, this way, this way, follow this path. And we're, we've got to slow down and say, actually, no, what I'm going to do is sort through this shit file and decide what's worthy of being passed down. And I'm going to figure out all of my wounds that have come from this conditioning, this, this, this cultural inheritance and say, these are all worth healing for me and for the next generations. And, you know, for in honor of all of the people who came from before us who worked for our freedoms yeah. but it's not glamorous and it's not um 
it's like when we say that there's an absence of a village and then you know i have a course called revillaging and i think that we're actually in a generation where we hunger for that so much but we feel so far from it so disconnected from it yeah. that it actually can have sort of a a we go to our coping strategies of either like feeling paralyzed or feeling cynical, you know, like as if, you know, that's so far from where we are, but so much of what I'm talking about in that course is okay. But what is our part that we can play toward helping to ensure that future generations have more of that kind of support, that quality of support that we're lacking. Totally. And that's all any of us can do is figure out what our role is to play in this generation. Um, but there's a lot of fruit we won't see. And that's, that is as it should be. Yeah. The, to me, what I hear in your voice is that level of maturity. I mean, it's, it's about maturation and walking the path that is under our feet rather than wishing it were a different path. And I think that's such a big part of motherhood in general. Like <laughs> it is such a profound initiation because of that. Like there are ways that you can prepare and I think should prepare and take care of your body and, you know, organize. And at the end of the day, you have no idea how this is going to go and there's nothing you can do about it. And you have very little control. Yes, <laughs> just, and and I see that as such a primary struggle, like the, just the fighting against the fact of not being in control. So much energy spent there and like the sort of this feedback loop that, you know, we've been speaking to this whole time of how it starts to erode one's sense of self or accomplishment or value because because we just insist on trying to control it mm -hmm. rather than that very scary surrender too. And it's not like wholly surrendering to, and you don't keep your feet on the ground and there's no sense of organization, but there's a big, a big amount of surrender that is required, I think, to be, as you say, I wrote this down too. So beautiful. So that we can be softened, humbled, reshaped, repurposed, and made wiser. Incredible words. <laughs> Thank you for them. Yeah, I, I really do think all of that is true. I think that one of the, um, one of the, something that's been really inspirational to me is Bill Plotkin's work um, uh, Nature and the Human Soul is one of his mm. books Craft is another one and uh, one of the things that he talks about is how what we're seeing right now is um, our culture really the whole world but our, our culture is stuck in an adolescent phase of development mm. and only from an adolescent phase of development, would we be destroying the world? <laughs> and yeah. 
So our part of our job is to actually mature for real. And grief is an essential part of the maturation process and uh, letting ourselves be, you know, broken open and humbled and releasing, relinquishing control and all of the things we've been talking about is all part of the maturation that will eventually season us into these wise elders that we don't have many of on the planet right now. We don't revere them either, but we, there's just not actually that many because they haven't been taken through initiations. You know, we're, we're for, there's not, we've, uh, because of the extreme violence to so many cultures, we, it's almost like we could just look at it as there's not, there hasn't been enough indigeneity on the planet for mm -hmm. a while now for yeah. there to be a, a wealth of wisdom, like a lot of it, a con high concentration of the wisdom was in these initiated cultures that actually knew how to, to, to grow up a human, yeah. to mature a human. We're, we're really, really disconnected from that maturation process. And yeah, and in all the ways that we're like homogenizing the attempting to homogenize the planet and homogenize culture, it's like I can feel that innate human biological fight against it. Like that's actually not how it's done. Here. Like this doesn't universally apply, actually. And I'm, you know, in the realm of psychology, but I'm also in birth work and studying the phenomenon of exporting our medical models, exporting our psychological models and how destructive it's been. I feel this in regards to what you're saying, like the absence or lack of indigeneity and this, this, you know, strongly held, cultivated, evolving wisdom about how to tend to a human how to tend to human how to grow a human as you said in all these different ways and places and ecosystems again like it's not a singular model and there's something there for me too about this like singular it's it's like not even an image this idea of a good mother but it uh, does also hold this like singular it's like one thing it can only be one thing and that nothing operates in that way right exactly yeah. yeah and i think that it's it's not universal and that if we're talking about life phases there actually are um threads some universal yeah. threads woven through the maturation process that we can look at healthier cultures yes and see um so i do think we could look at models where and you know again bill plotkin's work speaks to this that there are phases of development and one of the things that i love is that he talks about how in each phase of development we need two there's two main components um there's the cult there's the um connection and community element and there's the nature connection element and mm -hmm. if you've got both of those then you sort of graduate to the next level but so often many of us that didn't get enough of the nature connection piece in the very first phase of our development or the second phase or that somewhere we lost that thread and so we're stuck in that phase for that part 
and 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 lots of us also didn't get the community um uh, initiation piece for yeah. different phases so i do think that they're universally we need both of those pieces in order to mature the soul throughout the life phases um you know and i'm also really inspired by um robin wall kimmerer's work and um braiding sweetgrass when she talks about that actually what we need now is in the these aren't exactly her words um but to like re-indigenize ourselves yeah we need to like become indigenous again to the land to the elements to each other start over if it's not been passed down then we look at the the wreckage and we pick the things that feel the most um intact and worthy of starting fresh with yeah honoring what we can of what's left that and and rebuilding from here and 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 deciding each one of us what we're here for um and deciding i want i i am on the path to becoming a good elder a true elder and what does that look like and then that can help us create this um discernment develop discernment so we're way less distracted by the shiny objects you are a wealth of knowledge <laughs> a wealth of experience just uh a woman and a mother that I admire and I'm grateful to be connected to. I can't wait to spend more time with your work and with you hopefully too. Yeah. This feels like a strong connection. Yeah, I feel that with you as well. And I would love for you to um, share with folks how they can connect again I know you have something launching soon so please take it away <laughs> so you can find my work at revolutionfromhome.com also on Instagram and Facebook uh, revolution from home and then I do have my my nine month uh, program uh, is currently open for enrollment and um, just for a few more days um, but that is an experience that I feel really proud of. We're in our, I believe we're in our eighth year and um, it's gone through different iterations and um, it is maturing and being seasoned. And uh, this year it's, we've kind of recreated the whole thing and I'm really excited about um, this new structure that allows us to reach more people and, uh, and also deepen the work. So um, you can check that out. It's called uh, Mother Worthy. And that's a nine-month program. And then uh, after people have gone through that first year, we offer a second year. It's a new, you know, you sort of can progress on this maturation journey. And then we have Mama Sage in the third year and beyond. So we've got these different um, offerings that uh, start with Mother Worthy. Um, but it, Mother Worthy, the first year is complete in and of itself as well mm -hmm. if someone wanted to to just be a part of that experience but we also have in-person retreats 
um, at the end of that nine months. And uh, it's it's life-changing. It's completely changed my life to be in this kind of conversation with other mothers who's, you know, um, who have a similar hunger uh, for a more beautiful world, who want to be rooted in um, their values and um, learn how to be less distracted by things that really don't matter, learn how to discern what is for them and what is not, and be doing this work in community. Because really, I really truly believe that there's only so far we can take any of this by ourselves. We've, we just have to radically learn how to reconnect and trust one another again, because it's one of the ways that we're being controlled right now is by through this narrative that we that women can't trust each other, that we're in competition. Yeah. You know? So, um, so yeah, you can uh, check that out, uh, Mother Worthy. Um, that's uh, open open now. Awesome. I hope to be able to have you back on the podcast, deepen the conversation, keep it going. This is such a pleasure. <laughs> and I just hope that everyone is as moved as I am go check out Beth and her work, connect more deeply and be the change. Thank you so much for this opportunity, Stacey. I've enjoyed our conversation a lot. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Sacred Body Podcast. Please take a moment to leave a review, to share with a friend, to amplify this podcast and ensure that as many people as possible can hear it. If you'd like to learn more about my work and ways to work with me, please head to my website, stacyramsauer.com. You can also find me on Instagram at sacredbody underscore Stacy Ramsauer. Don't forget the E in Stacy. Have a great one, everybody, and see you next time.